Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the American Scouser podcast. I am Gally filling in here in the host chair as Tamuchin is at Layla's soccer game. I believe they got a clean sheet if I read the Discord channel update correct. So it's another positive Monday night, not only because he is not here, but more importantly, because we do not have to start with the pathetic section that is trivia, which is normally a spot where me and Paul just make jokes, point fun, or act a fool trying to ruin a segment prepared by others who are much smarter than us. We're the captains now. That's how it works, Paul. It's the way I look at it. It's, it's basically one of those things like there's all different adages about what happens when there isn't supervision. And I like to believe like this is arguably the reason why supervision was put into place. That's right. Knights like me and Paul in charge. But before we get to uh, a little bit and talking about some of the items that we have to go tonight, we wanted to first start by mentioning something that we have been talking a lot about, which is our fundraisers and the fundraising campaign that we have happening right now. So it's very important. Everyone that listens to this podcast knows uh, that Timuchin uh, is of Turkish descent, is from Turkey, is a huge supporter of the national team. His grandfather was one of the great players at Fernabache. Uh, and we've talked about it on this podcast. And as everyone will understand, there is a deep connection to what is happening right now over there, especially when it comes to the support mechanisms that are out there. And we are running some fundraisers right now. Um, we have a silent auction. We're going to be posting some links in the chat throughout the um, podcast tonight and Timushin is going to join us later and he'll speak a little bit about the different acts that we're doing and ways that we're raising money. But I wanted to share a couple things here um, that is currently happening. So obviously we are going to have a silent auction uh, for the children and families in Turkey and Syria. And we have some cool little prizes that have been donated by a bunch of great uh, different sites including the Anfield shops and some other folks, as well as some of our listeners and contributors through this site. So we're going to have a silent auction. I'm going to put the links out throughout the podcast. If you have an opportunity to check out the prizes and the different items, maybe donate some money. We also do have a uh, fundraiser as well. That is just straight cash donations uh, that we are going to make. So if you are able to get involved and you have the means right now, and I know this is not an easy time to ask anyone for money, but if you do have the means right now, we would really, really appreciate you supporting this cause that not only is something for anyone in the world who looks at tragedy and outreach, but for something here in our community, you know, we always talk about finding ways to make Liverpool more than just it is. And I think sometimes when issues like this arise and fellow Reds ask for help, I think sometimes you see the response and it makes you realize that it's a lot more than just terrible matches on Saturday that we're going to get to talk about. Um, but just real things that are worth putting our effort and time and attention into. 
So as I grab that um, silent auction link right now, it's a very big link. So I'm going to post it into the chat. If anyone has a chance to take a look at those, uh, we would love to see some bids and items come in um, on some of those. So I'll apologize for the big link in the chat, but that is the link that I was pulled off of our site on Facebook. So I'm sure I probably just messed it up completely, but at least I tried. Paul, anything to add to this train wreck as I start? No, I think you covered it about as well as you could. I mean, Timuchin's really the brains of this thing. So hopefully he pops on here in the last 10, 15, sort of condenses this down and, and gets the, the rest of the details out there. But I think he did a good job. Thank you. So I would rather actually fumble and bumble over anything like that than actually have to talk about oh, this God. in any way, shape, or form. Um you and me both were uncomfortable with the idea of where this thing was going when we talked last week. We, we, we talked a bit about how we thought the match itself would go, how the lineups would go. I think we both, if I'm not mistaken, called for a, uh, a score draw, right? I think I said 2-2 two, two and you said... I think I said 1-1, one, one, I think. 1-1. One, one. Yeah. It doesn't even really matter at this point. So when the lineups come out, were you at all surprised? Were you frustrated at all? Was it exactly what you expected? Uh, no huge surprises for me here. Um, you know, you could probably make an argument for Nunez if you wanted to, uh, you know, if he's 100% fit going in here. But, I mean, I there was – at this point, like this is our best iteration of this team at this juncture, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, I kind of felt the same way. I, I, I think the Jota thing was a little surprise for me only because I thought if Nunez was fit, he might play. Um, I guess where I have the biggest concern here is, is that this side had zero energy and i know they gave everything they could for 20 minutes but like this is the best 11 we can put out and they look like they should have been down four nil when we went up one nil and i think it's just a real if anyone was questioning what was happening with this side i feel like saturday afternoon or saturday morning was the absolute like death nail the it was the funeral it it was kind of the end of the era because it let you know this team doesn't just need to be retooled it needs to be absolutely rebuilt and reimagined and i think that's what's probably for me that's the scariest part you can rebuild but to have to reimagine something that was so special just a year ago is a little scary to me yeah, I mean, I think going into this match, I think a lot of us were hanging on the, the slim glimmer of like the statistic that bore out that we're the top team. Like we're in terms of the teams played against each other in the top six, we have the best record of everybody against the top six. So I think, I mean, if you were looking for any sort of optimism going in, that was your optimism. This is a game we typically get up for. And I think that's why this is so sort of jarring is because like, 
of who it came against. I mean, this is a team that we, yes, City, probably the best team in the league um, at this point. I mean, you can obviously make the argument for Arsenal, but I think City is probably right up there, if not more dangerous than Arsenal, in my opinion. Uh, but the bottom line is, is, like, this very well could have been the same thing versus Brighton or Fulham with the same result in terms of a scoreline. Um, and I think it's disheartening to see this side reduced to a collection of 30-year-olds coming off an international break. And I say that because, like, there needs to be some huge decisions for the manager at the club level, and then there needs to be some big decisions on these players too. Like, what is your priority? Is your priority your country or your club? Because at 32, 33, like, you, you can't do both. And if you're doing both, your manager sure, certainly shouldn't be turning around and, and starting you right off the airplane. Um, and so, I mean, there's that. It's just this team is reduced to essentially the ashes of, of Glory's former past. And the really disheartening thing and the scary thing for me is I listen to a manager who talks about how they're going to spend big and make big changes this summer because he doesn't understand like how he could keep put, get getting these performances out of this team. And it's scary. Like, I'm glad that he, he identifies change, but the alarming thing to me is that Jurgen Klopp doesn't seem to understand the why part of it, which seems glaringly obvious to everybody else since the turn of last year. So We'll see what happens. I think it's – I mean, everybody talks about how we need – you know, we need a, we need another right back. We need a center back. We need a bunch of midfielders. We need another – you know, like for – you know, Robbo put in as probably his worst performance in a long time. And now some people are starting to say, oh, like, you know, we've got to get more rotation. He can't be starting every week. But it's like, you're right. He doesn't have to be starting every week. And that is a great example of what happens if we buy a right back because we have a left back and he's still not getting played. And we've seen Costas bring quality to this team in a very different way. And I think so there's like a fundamental anxiety and a trust issue with the manager that has to learn how to turn over positions to new players and how to bed them in, in a way that protects the squad as a whole. And that's my major concern. We know there's an issue. It's acknowledged. The managers acknowledge it. But the inability to reconcile why is alarming to me. Yeah, and I, I I think you're spot on with that. And I think this comes to a bigger conversation. We've had it before on this podcast, and others have as well, by the way. This isn't like something we're bringing to the people's light, right? That Jurgen Klopp lasts five, six, seven seasons and then falls out of clubs. And part of that is because that's right about when the club realizes he has a loyalty to about eight of the 11 players that he plays every single week and the other three, he's okay to run into the ground, but while he's at, he's going to run the other eight into the ground as well. And we're, we're kind of seeing it right now. We've, we've talked about it. The players he's let go. I mean, he's one of the few managers who will actually play a player down to a contract, even after they basically acknowledge they're not going to continue on with the club. Cause in his mind, I think if he trusts you, he'll utilize every minute he has you in his side or in his setup because it's what's best for him. And I think it is what makes him really great at what he does. And I think it's also what's allowed people to poke criticism at, at the way that he's built this side. And some of the things he says is almost fraudulent because he talks about needed responsibility, needed requirement, needed new bodies yet doesn't do anything to play those players. You know, earlier in the year, he talked about how Trent's played too much football, 
but yet had a healthy backup right back who was physically fit and able to play. And he wouldn't actually give an opportunity, even in like small cup matches. He'd rather play a 37 year old guy instead, which didn't let him know if he actually had cover or figure out if he had a player who could push his top line starter to maybe being an even better player of himself. And I, I think that's the biggest argument when it comes to the Rubbo and Costas thing. But before we go too deep into the actual players, when it comes to what you saw on the pitch Saturday morning, was that just an absolute expedition of the actual gulf in between these two sides of how far it is spread apart? Because they went out and signed a player that everyone thinks put them over the top. That player couldn't play on Saturday, and that was supposed to make it so that we were even more competitive in this match. And instead, I feel like it almost galvanized them as a side to be like, we'll go show them we can still play. We might not have our big striker. And I, I, I really feel like that was a moment and a statement where City laid a marker down that like, yes, Liverpool, we have moved ahead of you. Like you aren't this close to us. We've pushed on and you haven't. And more importantly, to me, that was a statement to the rest of the league. Like Arsenal, we are coming for our title. Like this is our title and we're coming for it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to say that, you know, that that that's a state match match when I think we've been so poor for so long. Right. I mean, I think, yeah, and I think, you know, Brian Shelton makes a good point about talking about Alvarez with the link-up play. And I think I was going to say, I think in a lot of ways the ball moves better when Holland's not there um, because things don't seem to have to run through that point of attack uh, or to that as a central focus point. Um, I think, yes, golf and quality, you know what really alarmed me the most? And, and I'll say the, the most alarming thing to me, well, there's two of them. But the, the most alarming thing to me essentially was the fact that like we sat here and we essentially just ran rough shot and really were rough on United for their emotional reaction in our game and how they folded. And I think this match was as bad, if not worse, because we hadn't lost when they scored an equalizer and you literally sell us go home. Like when that equalizer went in, and the heads dropped across the back line, like, I just couldn't even believe it. Like, and I think it's a testament to, like, them knowing that they're a shade of their former self, and they probably knew that they were very fortunate to be up a goal, and when they couldn't hang on to it, they just knew that this probably was not going to go well. But, like, it just shows where this where this entire side is emotionally. We talk about physical fatigue, but, like, the emotional exhaustion and the just sort of, like, emotional weakness that I saw was really, really sad to me. The second thing that was really scary to me is like, dude, I think we need to talk about the elephant in the room. Van Dyke is done. He's done. Like, and I just, it sounds, it feels so terrible to say it, but like, we've seen this for a while. Like he's gradually lost his top end pace. He never got the quickness back after the Pickford injury, but I think we're seeing him like mentally check out hollering at players and not getting to the like when he's not being in the right place and then like calling somebody else out just like even from a leadership standpoint he's folded it and i just think man physically he looks dead in the water and that's really scary um 
So, I mean, we, we got, we got lots of issues, but like that, you know, the emotional, the, the sort of mental makeup component of this side right now, those are the really terrifying things to me. And that, that sort of mental state to me was almost the bigger, the bigger like gulf in my expectation versus the physical. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I mean, I think we've we've been on the Van Dyke thing for a bit now. And I, I think it's a little it's a little too easy for everyone to just be like, oh, uh, you know, that dirty bastard Pickford. Did the injury right. have something to do with it? Yes. It's not all that. Is is that why it's all happening? No, because mentally the guy doesn't look like he is actually with it. And I think part of and and for anyone who's just like, oh, the, you know, it's one match, you're jumping down his throat. I mean, anyone who watched the international break and anyone who listened to this podcast knows Paul did not. Um, but anyone who watched any part of the international break knows that Van Dyke was an absolute train wreck during that time as well. And the match against France, France is literally worse than what happened here. And... Oof. You can you can argue that he actually looked less interested while playing for his country in a match that mattered than he did playing here. And to me, that makes you start to think like it might be more than just like the wheels coming off. Like it is part of the mental side, but it is also part of the fact that physically he can't keep up at this level. And we're going to talk about like, what we should be thinking about these players and which players stay and which players go a little later in the podcast. But for what we saw on Saturday morning, it didn't look like it was the old adage of like, you know, we should buy this center back. They'd be Virgil's new partner. Like he, it it looked like at times, would we be better off playing Gomez and Kanate down the stretch? Because he actually looked like he was stringing out his midfielders and his left back at multiple times throughout the match by just being in the wrong position. And like we always talk about like the Rolls Royce of a defender because mentally he was always in the right spot. He's not only in the wrong spot now, he physically can't get himself into the right place. And that's what's scary for me because I think at times he gets caught in between what is or what was the arrogance of being the best defender in the world and knowing you could make up this spot or your angles will take this out of control or I have him here because I'll do this. And now it's like he gets done and then he gets mad at everyone around him. Like, like someone stole the answers off his test and he didn't have the right score sheet, right? Like he's just so irritated. It feels like on the pitch and it almost feels like it, it feels like a man who's lost. I mean, I think there's probably just a physical disconnect between what he's physically capable of what he, and what he mentally thinks he's capable of. Right. I mean, I think it's like any sort of aging star. Nobody's told him like, look, dude, you can't, you can't stroll back and still hit your mark. Like you used to on the back end. And like, I don't think it, in there hasn't been, I don't know what training looks like, but there's certainly, it doesn't appear that anybody has been, you know, having that discussion with him. So I think you're right. I think he's caught between like, you know, 
what he's used to being able to physically do and knowing what to do. And then the result, right. Being very different. <laughs> like, so it's a tough one, man. I think, I think Robbo, like I touched on earlier, I thought he was terrible, but I think Van Dyke's display during that match probably had a lot to do with it as well. Yeah. And it never helps Henderson on the left, which he's never overly comfortable yeah. with. And we don't love it. Um, you know, Elliot didn't cover himself in glory, both going forward or, you know, tucking in behind and helping Trent defend. Even when he did, it didn't feel like he actually had anyone. I mean, let's be honest. The midfield was abhorrent at best. They got yeah. run through. They were walked through. They just got passed by. At times, Fabinho made a couple nice plays, but they almost felt like they were last like last chance uh, tackles to save big runs. And there were two or three times I just absolutely thought we were going to get gutted even before they scored. And then once they scored the first, like you, I just felt like it was just like beta complete. Yeah. And it did feel like they scored three at once. Cause I felt like we were down three, one, as soon as it became one, one. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I think uh, I, I, the whole thing's just, Sad to watch, man. It's sad to watch this team reduced to that. I think, like, <laughs> we look at this, man, and I, there's no, like, there's no cohesive press, right? There's no legs for the cohesive press up top, and then you're sitting there with a the midfield that doesn't have legs to get back and cover. So, I mean, once again, we're talking collectively about goals that are conceded by a series of errors that we reduced down the trend. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it, it, it's just, it's frustrating to watch and it's frustrating to have to see the mess online after the game and everybody chatting about it. And it's like more, let's move Trent to midfield. Let's move a player that struggles with positional awareness to the midfield. And let's like, you know, it's just like, it's just super, super uh, difficult this season because there's just so much wrong and so much broken in like, my frustration and my anger this year has been because it was all so preventable. It was so preventable. Yeah, I do agree. I mean, obviously strengthening the midfield in the summertime. I mean, it, and it should have happened over the last couple transfer windows. And let's be honest, no one wants to talk about it because everybody likes to talk about world-class talents, or I should say no one likes to talk about it, but me. Um, but, you know, this does, when you start looking back and you say, oh, well, we should have bought a midfielder here. We should have replaced Genie there. We should have done well. we did. You know, we, we put our eggs in a 30-something-year-old's basket because he was the end-all, be-all. And all I heard from everyone was how amazing Tiago would be and what he was going to do and how he's the first name on the team sheet. And he's played in less than 65% of the matches that he's been physically able to be available for. He's been physically fit for selection, which is basically right up there with his numbers at Bayern and Barca before. He is a luxury player that the club didn't need. They thought they wanted to like break down Burnley's press. Then he became a guy that had to play every single day. And now we don't have him and nothing works without him. But we spent 35 million pounds at a time when we weren't spending a lot of money on players. For a player that really... The side didn't need and was just a straight luxury. And 
I won't be shocked if he doesn't play another match for the club, Paul, honestly. Like, I wouldn't be shocked at all if he can't get back on the pitch this year because no one talks about him. Like, he doesn't even come up in conversation, and this was a day-to-day injury. Well, I mean, that's just the larger issue. We've got essentially three players that we are like this with, like three players in the first team that we don't even talk about anymore, that being Navi, Ox, and Thiago. And, like, everybody just forgets Ox like it's a casual thing. He's, like, towards the top of the wage earners. He's, like, on 125 plus. Like, I mean, he's not cheap sitting there unused. You know, it's it's tough for me to pit that completely on the Tiago purchase because I think Tiago was built was brought in to break down that low block, and I thought he was brought in because the club and the manager believed and evaluated and thought highly enough Curtis Jones's development in that role, and I think that is one that nobody talks about. So I think that like. Did we buy Tiago as a replacement for Genie? I don't know that we did, but like at the same time, it's like I, I really think that we swung on miss on Jones's development. And I think that that is what I think they, the club thought they were going to get an everyday starter in Jones. And that just never panned out. And then we were relying on a, a player that we already knew had a history of breaking. And for me, that, that, that's, I guess that's almost as criminal as uh, as identifying Tiago as a major cog and hoping that he would be there enough to play for a guy who made forty something appearances the year before. the The idea that you put your you put all of this into and we all joke about you know the one Everton curler, but really he hadn't shown that much outside. Now I'm sure the training was great at eighteen nineteen to get out of the youth team and get into the first team setup. And for that small period, he earned it. But clearly they didn't have the makeup of the man because as soon as he became a first-teamer, it feels to me, and I can be totally wrong, like he stopped working like one. Because if he was, I'd think he was still progressing the way he was as a youth team player. And he does seem like a guy whose career has completely regressed. Like, to... Really, I mean, we've talked about, like, we've seen, like, Jordan Ibe. We've seen, you know, all these other players, right, that we saw come through and be like, oh, he's going to be great. He's going to be this. We really thought Curtis Jones would be something. And I almost feel like the thing that everyone loved about him was his arrogance. And I feel like it's his arrogance and his bravado, which is absolutely what's held him back. Because there's one thing to be, like, a really confident and arrogant kid when you're in the youth team. But then, like, you get to the top level and you realize you still have to be humble and make this work. I feel like he came up that kid, like, don't you know who I am? Like, he appears to be a guy who, on a plane, would ask the flight attendant if they know who he is. Just for, like, some American flight attendant to be like, who the fuck That's are That's just because he wears those dangly earrings, you old man. No, I think with yeah, I think yeah. the interesting thing with Jones is right. Like I think we all liked his his confidence, his bravado on the ball, right? And I think over time, what that turned into was just us figuring out this is a player that doesn't have a lot of self awareness on the pitch, right? Like I mean, I think he gets the ball and there's that casual arrogance which you kind of want, but he also just doesn't know when to play the simple pass or when to reset the pitch and recycle possession. 
like those basic things that the system requires, like, because he's so, I think he's so offensive minded. Like he wants to go in and bang him in from 18, 20, which is fine. I mean, that's all well and good, but like when you're asked to cover and track back and do things positionally that are difficult for somebody, you have to be a true two-way player. I just don't know that he's a true two-way player. And I don't know if he's got the mental makeup to like, I mean, I think it's pretty clear. He doesn't have the mental makeup to, to sort of evaluate his game see what the system needs, and then improve on both sides of the ball. We never saw that. Yeah, I I really agree with that. And, you know, before we kind of jump off this topic here and talk a little bit about more about the league, some coaching trends happening right now, and maybe what's happening from a coaching standpoint at our club. um, You know, I just want to remind everyone, as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, we are currently running – fundraiser we have a silent auction as um, matouche mentioned earlier we have 37 great items up right now for the silent auction you can scroll above and find the link to that uh if you would also like to make a monetary donation i'm going to post the link now to the facebook uh donation page where you can make a monetary contribution towards the cause uh, to hope to help, excuse me, the folks and the children and families of Turkey and Syria. And it's not me. I don't know how it passed the uh, graphic awareness team, but we clearly misspelled Turkey at the top of this graphic. What? So oh, yeah. I'm just going to call that on the guy who is from Turkey, who will probably tell us it's when he left Turkey. Map. We can't go. Well, I mean, right. we can't when he Google when when he left Turkey, it was still spelt that way, and now it is Turkai. But there's no jokes about this. It's about raising awareness and raising the money for the cause. So we really hope that if you have the opportunity and you have the means, can spare anything a dollar, five dollars, please send some money through. Uh, we would love to send as much care and goodwill as we can because we know that the children and families of these countries really need it. Anyone who has paid attention to what's happening in the devastation that's happened in that country uh, since the earthquakes can easily attest that this is a good cause worthy of getting behind. So there's no easy segue from there, but we will continue to talk here a little bit about the football. So it was a brutal afternoon. Do you have any final takeaways, Paul, before we talk a little bit about coaching in the league, coaching in football, and maybe how it affects our club moving forward? Anything else from Saturday you want to touch on? It was probably the first time in many years that I've missed, like, an international break. (laughs) I was, like, ready to go back for the international break. Um, No. I mean, it's just uh, this is the Fulham game from the first match of the year on repeat all year long it is has been variations of a theme we've had better variations we've had worse variations but it has been the same iteration of the first match of the year all year um i'm looking forward at this point i am just (laughs) this is probably the first time also in a long time that i've just immersed myself in every transfer rumor because i just uh am rolling naked in the positivity of each transfer rumor (laughs) i could possibly get right now yeah, I'll be honest. They, you you could literally uh, attach us to 
Like they could start talking about Diego Aspes coming back and telling yeah. him how he's how he's realized that he could misses work. Liverpool. How he misses Liverpool. I'd be like, this sounds like a great sign. They'd be like, just ah, don't put him on corners. We'll be fine. <laughs> like, it's this Balotelli guy. He he says he's really interested in English football. I'd be like, What's I bet he's going to work really really hard. <laughs> like there, at this point, you could almost say any name, and I would be outwardly excited about the player. Yeah. Because the truth is, I still love this side and all the players in it. But together, collectively, right now, they are hard to root for. And I know, yeah. like, if, if Jamie was listening right now, he'd be so mad at me and he'd be yelling at me on the podcast. Like, how can you say that? Because no, it's the truth. No, but it's the truth. I, I, I got up extra early, was excited, got downstairs, I'm watching the match, and as I'm watching it, I just yeah. recognize they're tired, they're slow. They can't do what they want to do in the jersey. And I'm sitting here yeah. making excuses for it every week. It's not worth making excuses for. No. It's almost worth recognizing that it's very sad, but more importantly, that if it doesn't change, well, it's not going to change. And I always make the joke that this feels like the final scene in Old Yeller, right? Where they're just waiting for the, the put to pull the dog into the back backyard and put him down, right? I mean, and because there's no joy, there's there's no joy. Remember when we just used to pass for the sake of it, like you know, like we would just be doing like it. Inverage would just be like, oh, I'm going to hit the 75 yard diagonal ball just for fun, see what happens. Maybe Mo runs onto it, you know what I mean? And it's like we don't like. There's no joy in the game, and like those long diagonals aren't happening anymore for very good reason, like physical reasons, but like, there's just no, and I part, I know that Bobby brought a lot of that, that sort of Samba flair and that joy and stuff, but that was like sort of collectively contagious in this team, you know, like our fullbacks were like, we're just fucking bombing forward and being scary. Um, and the midfielders were like really enjoying this controlled possession, the passing, the moving the triangles into the final thirds and the half spaces. There's none of that anymore. It just looks like work. Like these guys, like half of these dudes look like they're ready to go home before the match is over. Like they just look like they don't even look like they're mentally there anymore. Like they're just, they look like players that are out there thinking about what they're going to do when they get home. And, and like, that's, that's the really like sad thing. You talk about this team being hard to pull for it's because there's no, there doesn't seem to be any like real passion or joy. Like even when we went, went up, when we went one up, I didn't feel like there was like any sort of emotional charge really. I mean, yeah, we got excited, but I didn't feel like this team was like, let's grab these assholes by the scruff of the neck and drag this over the line and get out of Manchester with a win and a flag up, you know? Like, I didn't see any of that. Yeah, it's, it's never actually felt to me like they believed they were turning a corner. Like, I feel like supporters all season long have been like, we got this big win, whether it was the, the 1-0 win against City in October. Or it was, you know, the Champions League win early on. Or even, like, it just always felt like this side knew that they couldn't compete. And maybe it was the injuries. Maybe it was the timing. Maybe it's all the unrest behind the scenes and there's more stuff happening at the club than we know of. Maybe the uh, potential rumors of a sale actually affected the players on the pitch. I don't buy that shit for one second. But, if, but like, who knows? Like, I'll give 
there being a credence to these being ideas for reasons. But maybe they just ran out of gas 18 months too late to like we all say, well, this same team competed on every single level. No, nah, they competed on every single level for 40 of the 60 games last year. And then they crawled for the last 15 games. And we lost one final, came up just short, and took two other finals to extra time and needed nil-nil draw penalties to freaking win. So it took not a few. Like- that was a brand-new player playing out of his collective mind to drag us over the edge. And, and and that was just to still look pedestrian at the end. And of the that season. dude's not here. <laughs> like, right. And, like, and that I think is why people don't realize, like, you know, I know there was some talks earlier, like, Oh, you know, we played so poorly yesterday. We made Jack Grealish look world-class. I hate to say this. The son of a bitch flops on the ground. Dude rolls around. Shouldn't act the way he does. Shin pads are annoying. Hair's worse. Get bigger shorts. All that said, he was the best player on the pitch yesterday, two times forward. Not even close, by the way. And it's why they paid $100 million for the guy. And anyone who's actually watched him over the last two months, Jack Grealish has been the second best player at, at Manchester City for the last two months outside of Erling Holland. He's been really, really good, and Pep's finally starting to figure out how to make it work with him. Because what does Pep do? He buys players, and he figures out how they work. And if they don't work in his system, he changes his system so they work better. And that's I mean, what that's he the has thing done is like for that Grealish. is a merit-based system too that is rotated. So those players are fresh. It's a big squad. They all know they're going to get opportunities. They all know that if they play into form, they're going to play more. Like they all, it's it and it's and it's a system that bleeds immediate transfers in, finds out their strengths and weaknesses, and adjusts accordingly. And like we talk about like all this change and all this stuff and how this team needs a refresh. The scary things to me is, do we have a manager that is capable of doing that? Because my thought is when he talks about all these transfers, I'm like, all right, but how much do you love that dude? Do you love him more than Trent? Do you love him more than Robbo? Because you can't, but you're going to be forced to make the best decision for the club. And the best decision for the club isn't going to line up with where your heart is all the time. Yeah, and, and I think that's why we talk about it all the time. Like, I I don't believe that Pep Guardiola is a head and shoulders better manager than Jurgen Klopp. I don't. Yeah. I think they are very similar in many ways, and they have lots of different positives and negatives. I do believe that Pep Guardiola manages a squad better than Jurgen Klopp, and not just manages the squad, knows how to get the most out of his squad, and also is ruthless enough to understand, like, I think Pep Guardiola probably really likes Fernand Torres. I think he probably really likes Leroy Sané. I know for a fact he loves Raheem Sterling because he turned him into a that borderline world-class player at the top, right? Yep. But he was ready to sell every one of them as soon as it made sense for his club and more importantly, his dressing room that they left and a more, a younger, hungrier, more team friendly option came in. And each time they sold one of those players, they not only sold them for a profit, 
in my opinion, they brought in a player that was better behind them. And that's something we've never seen. Not once. Yep. Jurgen Klopp has never sold a star other than Coutinho, and he begged the little son of a bitch to stay. Almost to the point where he got embarrassed by having to fake the injury to let him go. Yeah, I mean, that's like City's going to sell – they'll sell De Bruyne three months before we realize that his form has fallen – his quality has fallen off. Like, I mean, that's – they're so proactive about how they approach the business side of the quality in that side. You know, so we and all we all just chalk it down the big spending and stuff, but it no, they make good decisions for that squad. And and but one one window before that, they'll buy the Wurtz kid from Germany and they'll have the replacement yep. before it even happens. And so so we, we talked about the coaching and this is a good segue. So, you know, um the coaching carousel is on in the Premier League. Um, what a graphic. It is it is a good graphic, right? It we gotta get the those, these all. graphic guys around. Um, you know, um they are, yeah. Clip art is great these days. Uh but 13, 13 changes so far in the Premier League. It's pretty crazy. Uh I have them written down here. So literally it goes Parker um out at Bournemouth, Tuchel out at Chelsea. Potter leaves Brighton to go to Chelsea. Bruno Lodge gets fired at Wolves. Gerard gets relieved of his duties at Villa. Hassan Hall is out at Southampton. Lampard gets relieved at Everton. Jesse Marsh out at Leeds. Then you have Jones out at Southampton. We've now had a manager get sacked twice at one club. Vieira gets relieved of his duties. Conte leaves on mutual uh appreciation yeah, fire, fired himself fired himself basically <laughs> rogers genuinely basically from what i hear rogers basically resigned and really? lester said we'll accept it as long as 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 you don't make us pay you out but he won't admit he didn't want to get paid out because nobody wants to know that he already had jobs offered to him which is why he wanted yeah. out of lester and of course then graham potter gets fired 13 changes paul in a league of 20 teams, four of those changes happened to teams at one point in the top half. It's kind of crazy. Um, if you look at all of that on a whole, right? Before we talk about the league, let's focus on Liverpool for a couple minutes. And then we'll spend the last like 10 minutes talking more about the league and the coaching and what's going on. Is that more an indictment that the rest of the league is just crazily overreacting? Or do we literally have owners that are so afraid of their supporters' base that they'll allow this without even questioning he should go? Here's what I think. Here's what I think it is. I think the TV money has gotten so incredibly lucrative in the Premier League that every spot is worth X amount. And I think what's happened is that teams are so desperate to avoid the drop. Like nobody wants to go down and take the eat it that one year to come back up. Like I think teams are. I think a, a majority of those fires have come from teams that are struggling to stay out of the relegation zone. And I think there's another band. So you have the band at the bottom, and then I think you have a band that's like two thirds of the way up the table of powerhouse teams that are used to being in the top four that are struggling to make top four. Like you know, like when we look at 
you know, what's going on with United and Chelsea and Tottenham. Those are teams that are on that borderline that are used to being in one, two, three, four stack, and they're trying to get up into that top four. So I think there's a band there, and I think there's a band at the bottom that's trying to avoid the drop. So if you look at the tenure of all managers in the league, and I, I don't know, some of our listeners may know this, Jurgen Klopp right now is the most tenured manager in the Premier League. He has had the job at Liverpool for 2,734 days, which is just over eight years, right? The second manager in the league, which is kind of crazy, is Pep, who's been at City for just over 2,700 days, came right after Klopp to start the following season, right? Do you know who's third in the Premier League for tenure with a ma- as a manager? Is it like Arteta? It, it no, it's almost. He's fourth. Arteta is fourth. <laughs> the third longest manager at any club is Frank. For oh, all sixteen, okay. all sixteen hundred and thirty-four days they've been in the Premier League, he's been the manager at Brentford. Like only four managers have been the manager of their club in the Premier League longer than Brentford has been in the Premier League, and that yeah. just happened like a minute ago. It's, yeah. That's an insane statistic yeah. because it just shows the validity of the overall kind of like of the sport. It's how right? volatile like, it is. Correct. Like how volatile it is. So when we talk about these managers, right. And we start talking about when we were talking about the carousel and where these managers are going to go and, and where the stops fall. Right. So if you're Brendan Rogers, are you interested in Chelsea or Tottenham? You know, the crazy thing is I'm more interested in Tottenham than I in Chelsea because, and I'll tell you why. Because I think with Tottenham, you have at least some fluency. In Chelsea, that is a team that's been collected in a shotgun approach, where I feel has a huge number of big, big time wage earning players that do not necessarily fit tactically, that have enormous pressures on them to be pigeonholed into a starting 11 because of the fees that were paid for them. I think that is. A, I think Chelsea is a losing proposition. I think Potter made some weird choices. I don't think he got it right all the time, but I also think he was a dead man walking going into that situation. Um, I'm more likely to go to Tottenham, but then you could flip that. If you go to Chelsea, you're probably more likely to be able to make the wholesale changes you want from a budget standpoint and buy whatever you want. Whereas Tottenham's probably going to give you a harder time if you want to like a specific player. I just like the fluency and the setup better and what they have in Tottenham than I do Chelsea. And I don't think there's a manager that's going to go in there and turn that around immediately. I really don't. I don't think that's a quick fix. Yeah. Um, Brian Shelton says Nagelsmann is going to Chelsea. I don't, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure about that. I think that guy's pretty smart. Actually. I think he was forced. I think when you're at a place like Leipzig and you get the Bayern job offered to you, you have no choice, but yeah, to you take to it. It's like yeah. David Moyes getting offered United. He had to take that job, whether he thought he could do it or not. And we all saw David Moyes' face the day he walked out of that tunnel the first time at Old Trafford. You knew he looked like, oh, shit, what did I do? <laughs> it was like deer in the headlights time five. Like, literally, like Where's the headlights the came. Yeah, exactly. He just started. And then he was like, wait, they went and got him. And then he was like, send him back. Um, 
but no, it, it, I, I do believe like there are certain managers who get to places they don't belong. And I think Nagelsmann seems like a smart guy. Like maybe he might be a shot. I know people loved him at, uh, as a long-term uh, possible choice for Liverpool someday. Cause he fits right into the whole FSG model and the way they look at player development and analytics. But I see him more at Spurs than I do at Chelsea, but I agree with you. If I were Rogers, I'd probably looking at Chelsea, but let's bring in this guy. Who's back home from the soccer match. Harry he is. What is up? What is up people? What's Speaking up, of managers who need replacing, uh, despite a one zero win over here, Layla's high school coach. Holy moly. God, man, this guy is just lucky to have all these great players, but, uh, would like to get them replaced ASAP if we could, there's not that much money in it, like the premier league though. So it might be hard to get a replacement there. We're going to clip this. We're going to clip this and drop it right in. Wait, that damn it. Wait till she graduates. Suburb. At least he's no, a senior. Yeah, he, was was mad about a, <laughs> he was mad about a one nil clean sheet. Dude, the performance is on the field. You should have had him follow this club this year. You'd take a one no clean sheet over anything. I I'd take a four three win at this point. Yeah, no shit. That's the first yeah. story. Yeah. So you you we we weren't able to get you. I would love to get your quick insight on the match. Um, other than you wanted to, you know, poke needles into your eyes and you know. Poor Stitch only got one treat, and he probably had to share it with Lilo, so it didn't even work out well. Um, yeah, it was kind of painful. Painful watch. I mean, just a painful watch. I mean, I heard you guys talking about it on the way in terms of how this team has become really painful to watch because you don't see the same fights in the team. It's almost like I know we're waiting for the end of the season at this point, right? And it feels like they're waiting for the end of the season as well. And... I think it's more about, I think we see what mentality and, you know, confidence brings to a game. Everybody's like, oh, these guys are pros. They're making a lot of money and stuff like that. But that plays a huge role in how teams play. This team was the mentality monsters, right? They would come back and, like, you know, like regardless of the score, we could be 1-0 down. We would still have, like, confidence in them coming back. We still got this. We're going to score and stuff like that. I'll be honest, and I said this this morning when we were chatting with Matush too, even when we were at 1-0, I had zero yeah. confidence. And even if yeah, Salah gets that None. pass to, uh, you know, and, you know, Jota scores, even at 2-0, I would not have the confidence. And I think that's where we have become. We're more – and, I, I mean, if we are like this, part of it is because of the players as well. I think you have a team out there waiting to see what's going to go wrong as opposed to having that confidence like doesn't matter. We got this. We keep doing what we're doing. We're going to score. We're going to win this game. I think from that – We've kind of gone to the other end, and it takes a long time to become a mentality monster. I mean, you can go back and talk about games like even worthless wins against like Norwich and, you know, that draw we had where Klopp had, what was that, West Bromwich Albion or QPR when he took like the, the – we, we tied the game and then we celebrated it and stuff. Like that. But those are stepping stones to build that mentality monster so it's going to take a lot of wins and comebacks and stuff like that to be able to kind of bring it back. So it's going to be a kind of a painful up and down performance, I think, rest of the way. But 
yeah, painful to watch. Painful to watch. And I think this is what we're in for us of the year. Like the game tomorrow, I'm almost treating it like a preseason at this point. I don't think I'm going to get too excited if we win or too down if we lose. It's just like, where do we go from here? Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, I At this point, I just feel like I'm going to watch every match. Two years ago when we were up or three years ago, whatever. Yeah. Three years ago when we were up against it and we weren't going to make champions league and the year after the title and you know, the alley header and all that, my whole mentality that year was, was like, well, I'll watch these matches. Cause I watch every match and if they make, and then all of a sudden it was like, Holy shit, these matches matter. If that happens again, I'll be pleasantly surprised. But to be totally honest, we got to basically win like 10 out of our last 11 and draw the other one. And we haven't proven that we can win two in a row against bad teams like Forrest and Leeds. So why am I supposed to think we can take Chelsea and Arsenal and still play Spurs again this year? And like all these other matches that we have, like, it's just, to me, it's just more about, I just hope they can find some semblance of themselves before the end of the season, just so that they can kind of pull some positives together to move into the off season from a coaching standpoint, things you're building on. And I really feel like that was what was such a kick in the pants about the Bashadich injury is I feel like if this kid was playing every week, week in and week out, 90 minutes, 70 minutes, 60 minutes, you'd have something to build on of all these great performances of this player. We didn't know about yet. The one good thing that came out of this shitty season, this player, we couldn't pronounce his name that became, the first name on the team sheet and the player of the month in January, which might've been the month we played the best football we had all year, like gets hurt. And then is out for the rest of the year. Like it's almost like as quintessential of what the season was, but we were talking a little bit about the coaches, um, but we want to wrap up. We talked a little earlier. Uh, I'm going to bring up the graphic here quickly. We talked a little bit. We talked a little bit earlier about the fundraiser, um, and I grabbed this off our, our website just to have a graphic to talk about. I'd love you to expand a little bit about it. I posted some links earlier, but ways that we're doing, what we're trying to cause, because I'd really love to bring some attention to this before we wrap up tonight. Yeah, I'm hoping and anybody who's listening right now, man, please like share the hell out of this. With all the negativity we have this season, I'm hoping to make this one positive when we look back at the season, we don't remember anything that all these brutal games and we're like, hey, Bickler, you remember the fundraiser we did this year? I mean, that's kind of like my goal out of this whole thing at this point. But yeah, I mean, we got a bunch of things going on. Obviously, we have the silence auction going on right now. A bunch of items uh, from Anfield Shop, from actually artists back in UK, as well as in the US over here. Uh, a bunch of stuff that's donated, kind of unique items. We have our like 7-0 shirt on there and stuff like that as well. That was like a limited edition. So we have that going on. And I know not everybody likes doing these silence auctions. And maybe they just want to contribute like a small amount or something like that. So to go along with the silence auction, we also have like a fundraiser for Save the Children uh, on our Facebook page. It's a, basically a fundraiser done through Facebook and goes directly to Save the Children US, which will then basically route it to the Save the Children in Turkey and Syria to help the kids in that area. Um, so I'm hoping we get as much as possible as contributors for the sites. Uh, you know, you guys, you know, us obviously included and some others, we were basically kickstarting the fundraiser 
uh, we're shooting for five grand right now. I'm hoping we increase that as we go. But uh, we basically started it as American Scouts for Contributors uh, with 10% of it right from the get-go. Uh, so hopefully, like I say, if somebody wants to say, hey, you know what? I can't really bid on any of these items or whatever. I'll throw in five bucks. I don't care if you throw in a dollar. Everything a little bit helps if everybody who watches us or everybody I'm going to share and message this to donate like a dollar or five, uh, we would end up collecting a lot. So I'm hoping everybody kind of chips in and follows along. And if you can't chip in, that's fine too. Just please at least share because that's definitely free. Uh, share, send it to somebody else who might be interested in the cause. Um, like I say, let's make this the positive we can take out of the season moving forward. Yeah, and it's a great cause, and thank you for putting it all together. Um, I just posted the links. Again, another link to the Facebook donate page where you can donate a monetary contribution. And to Timuchin's point, you know, we understand that not everyone right now even has a dollar to share. And if that is the case, then, you know, you should keep those dollars and support your family with them. But if you're hearing us right now, if you're seeing this, if you're watching it live, please share a link, share the link to the fundraiser page, share our posts on Facebook, because if one person on your feed feels so inclined to send some money over, it will only help the children and families in need. And there are a lot of them out there. So really, really appreciate uh, you taking the time and effort and all your support both of this podcast and of course of the causes that we have. Paul, you got anything else for us here before we wrap up tonight as we kind of say no, goodbye? You guys, I fucking hate when you guys do this to me. You guys didn't, you know it, you know it. No, Back no, in the studio, Paul. <laughs> no final thoughts from Jerry Springer's last thought on Friday. Well, if we got Jerry Spears last thought on Friday, they'd probably cancel us by Tuesday. I want to make that a segment, actually. Kind of like the Jerry Springer thing, like you sitting on a stool. <laughs> or do one of those. So what have you learned today? And just... just remember, if they're just because they're physically emotionally available doesn't mean they're emotionally available. Unbelievable. Oh, Folks. Where's the wisdom? That is that is basically how we wrap up a show here that goes off the rails on the American Scouser podcast. We give life lessons from Jerry Springer. And that lets you know it's been that type of a season here at Liverpool Football Club. But we appreciate all of you for your listens, your likes, your subscriptions, your support. As always, give us a comment. Share, like, subscribe, tell a friend, bring comments next time. And everybody, thank you very much. Have a great week. And we'll be back next Monday night to review another Liverpool football match.